Tonight we are so honored and excited to have our guest with us. And um, Chris Kane is a world-renowned speaker. She um, is the founder of Equip and Empower Ministries in the A21 campaign. And she just loves the local church. She's been such um, an, an inspiration and an encouragement to us. Um, the first time she was here was in 2006. And then she came back again in 2009. Now she's here with us tonight. So will you please put your hands together and welcome Chris Kane. Oh, yeah. Oh, and one more thing. Um, she happens to have her birthday today. Oh, yeah. She's sharing it with us, her birthday. So... We thought we had to give you, no, no, we'll, we'll take it for you. Um, and we heard a little, a little friend told us, your favorite perfume in the world just happens to be Flower Bomb. Oh, girls, girls, wait, wait, no, no, we're going to take this back. <laughs> I don't think she can preach with that. So, yeah. Oh, happy perfume in the world. Thank you. How y'all doing? Whoa. You can be seated. Man. I'm coming back here. More perfume. I love Flower Bomb. Anyone else wear Flower Bomb? Guess how old I am today? Do I look 21? Double that and then add three. I'm so laughing because it's like you eventually do become your mother. And um, you know when you used to like, when you were 16, like 45 was you were nearly dead. Do you remember that? Like... <laughs> And, and my mum would always say, you know, I don't feel 25. I go, yeah, that's what all the old people say. Or I don't feel 45, and that's what all the old people say. And now I'm one of those people. Someone said to me, Christine, you're middle-aged. And I thought, oh, like, I think I am. But, I, I, like, it's hilarious to me because um, why I said I, I'm my mother. Because how many people don't feel like you're over 40, but you are over 40? Yeah. <laughs> so it is true for all you young'uns. It is true. You get to this middle part and you go, oh, it's a joke. Like, I laughed. I looked at the thing and it said 45. And I'm like, I'm 45. That's hilarious. Like, I'm going to be 50 in five years. And um, <laughs> 50. Like, Terry, that is hysterical. 50 years old. Anyway, so um, I couldn't think of anyone better to um, spend my 45th birthday with than the chicks at Sparkle. So I am so pumped to be here. I am, you know, when Becca invited me and, and Nick and my, and my husband Nick and I, we love the kettlings and um, I hope you do as well. Is Becca not absolutely awesome? And when um, Becca invited me to come, I knew it was going to be right on um, my birthday. So we did some early celebrations um, all through the week and I kind of kissed my babies goodbye and here I am because I really, really felt to come and wanted to come this year. I kind of feel like we've been part of the process of what God's done in this place and I, I love that. I love, you know, Becca said I love um, the local church and I do. And so to me to see what God's doing in a place is absolutely awesome and this is just like... Um, you, you, you know, this conference has taken the words of the Lord in Genesis, true, you're going forth and multiplying and reproducing. It's like little rabbits, you're everywhere. But anyway, um, so I'm pumped. I haven't been here for a couple of years. My little girls are a little bit older now. For those of you, I'm just doing a bit of family business and then I'll kick in. We'll be good. So my, my little Catherine Bobby is nine, going on 19. And um, 
And then my little Sophia Joyce is five. She'll be six in January. And um, we live in Orange County, California now. So, y'all, I'm American. And... <laughs> I'm not at all. We are still um, uh, part of the global team of the Hillsong Church and kind of like right in the midst of um, three of our anchor churches. There's eight churches worldwide, but our New York church, our London church, and our Sydney church, so I'm kind of one flight from all of them. And um, it is really hard suffering for Jesus in Newport Beach. But, you know, I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll go. And... um, you know, when I'm thinking about your, your winters over here, um, our, our travel agents are here and so we call and say, yeah, we're sunbaking and they're like, we're shoveling two feet out of the driveway to, um, and so we laugh. But anyway, so y'all are called here and we're not, we'll visit. You're not laughing anymore, but how many want to come and visit me in, um, in Orange County? <laughs> So, so I love it, and so my kids go to um, an American school, which is so humorous when you're Australian, and um, it's it's awesome, and because they're so popular, because all the Americans love their accent, and um, but they they sound like little Valley girls. They're like awesome. I'm like, what do you mean awesome? Anyway, so because we speak the Queen's English, and we say awesome. And this is very refined and dignified, and we speak like the Queen. So after three, all of you say awesome. One, two, three beautiful. Let's just do that one more time, a little bit more awesome. One, two, three. Awesome. Lovely. Now after three, say it like an American. One, two, three. Awesome. Just saying. Okay, so just saying. So in our house, we continue to say awesome. And <laughs> Anyway, so that's a little bit of family business and that's what's been happening um, in our place. I hope that tomorrow morning, um, I love, I love the idea of bringing kind of unused jewellery in, you know, and um, the whole theme I was talking with Becca out the back is from Schindler's List and I don't know about you but I was like sobbing in that movie when he takes off his ring and he goes, you know, this ring, this ring could have saved so many more and um, really that's what it comes down to. It's like, you know what, we can make such a difference and tomorrow morning I'm going to talk a lot about the A21 campaign and what God has done in three years is so supernatural that honestly, if you're an atheist, you'd get converted because you would have to believe in God, what God has done in and through that campaign worldwide and so I'm really excited and we'll talk a little bit about that more then. Let me tell you, what have I got some stuff here? Okay, these shoes, can you come up here for a minute? Okay, I Instagrammed and Twittered these because I could not resist. It's Lady Gaga meets church. (laughs) They are lethal weapons. Stick your foot up. Okay. I, I Instagrammed that and had like, you know, 50 likes in 10 seconds. And um, so if you're all like twittering during church, you're in trouble. But anyway, so everyone loved those um, shoes. So I'm going to give, it's my birthday and I'm going to give some stuff away. So um, are we there yet? I love this series. It's, it's kind of like I was flying from Sydney to uh, Norway, Oslo. Now, I don't know if you all know where Sydney is and where Oslo is, but they're not the same place on the map. And um, 40 hours door to door. We had not taken off. We'd not even off the runway yet. And Catherine tugs my sleeve. And she said to me, before we'd even taken off, she goes, Mummy, are we? How many knew I was in for a very long 40 hours right then? But I think a lot of us were like that with God. 
we get a promise, we get a word, we get something from the Lord. And then about 10 seconds later, we're like, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I think he feels like with us, like we feel with our kids before we're out of the driveway going on vacation. And they're like, are we there yet? Um, you know, the truth is that there is, um, there is a promise and there, well, there's a word that we get and there's a dream to be realized, but there's a, there's a time in between the promise of God and that promise coming to realization. There's lots of suddenlies in the Bible, that's true. But I've been around long enough to know that most suddenlies take at least 15 to 20 years. And so if you kind of just stick around long enough, you'll get your suddenly. And so a lot of this is what to do and what's happening when you think that nothing's happening. And the truth is that God's preparing you for the thing that he's already prepared for you. And I think a lot of this, you can hold these and we'll give them to somebody in a minute. Um, my pink book, I don't know, did I have this when I came here last time? Because it's kind of new. It's called, Can I Have and Do It All, Please? And there's no doubt, the number one question I'm asked worldwide, doesn't matter where I go, um, is, Chris, how do you do it all? How do you do the marriage deal, the ministry thing, the, you know, the kid thing, the sex thing? Like, because I'm married. Um, how does it all kind of... <laughs> just got to do a lot to keep you up on a Friday night. Anyway, so how does it all kind of happen? And um, can I have and do it all, please? And you can have and do it all, um, as long as it's God's all for your life and you're not trying to run somebody else's all. And so this book, um, I think, really, really deals. You know, we, we got, in the 70s, we got everything. We got affirmative action, equal opportunity. We got women's rights. We got it all. We can do it all now. We don't know if we want it all because we're all having a nervous breakdown. And so basically... <laughs> This will kind of really, really help um, untangle all of that and go, okay, what is God's all and how does this whole deal work? And, um, and so that will kind of happen. And again, the, the pack that I'm probably so excited about and the core issue, which is, um, you know, stop acting like a Christian, just be one, an act, the activation, what I call the passion pack of reaching a lost and a broken world and kind of my whole core philosophy, really the foundation of everything that I teach comes out of God changes us so that we can change the world around us. And, um, and this whole kit in there will help you. So who is, this is your first time to sparkle. Did you see that, Becca? You need to stand up and look at this. Where is everyone from last year? Okay. <laughs> I'm talking like, wow. Okay, who, who doesn't come to uh, church but some friends dragged you in, they actually lied to you, thought you were going to a nightclub, but you've turned up here. <laughs> that chick there, can you just give her everything? That's it, give her everything. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, you're in for a good night, honey. Don't worry. It's like, it's worse. It's all downhill from here. And um, <laughs> I love that. You all in a good mood? I love, 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 love the theme hope. And I'm in a world that is very, very hopeless. You can have hope speaking, sp spoken into your spirit um, over the course of this weekend. And I'm so excited. And I'm going to speak hope into you right from the outset tonight. I'm going to start with a, a great YouTube DVD. Why? Because it's Friday night and who doesn't want to watch TV? So for four minutes... Um, we are going to check out this DVD and I just want you to have a look at it, if you guys would play it. Hi everyone! Do you want to play a game? Come on, come play with me! Don't you want to play a game? Come on, play a game with me! Let's play a game. Let's play a game called Find Everything in Your Parents' House That's Expired. This game is so easy. Okay, so pause this video and go find everything in your parents' house that's expired. Welcome back! So, to begin, I went to my parents' fridge and... I think I won. October 30th, 2008. 
July 23rd, 2008. December 15th, 2007. December 8th, 2006. July 15th, 2006. December 13th, 2007. I don't think pixie sticks have an expiration date, but when was the last time a child was in this house? Expired. It's gotta be expired. Oh no, this isn't looking good. June 27th, 2004. Expired. July 26th, 2008. Expired. 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 December 21st, 2008. Not yet expired! Let's have some Italian! Oh, this isn't looking promising. Oh my goodness. October 1992. Expired. Did I win? Did I beat you? I had a lot of good stuff this round. No? You had more expired stuff than me? Well, okay, just just wait, okay? Just hold your hold your horses, because I have the checkmate of this game. Do you see this packaging? I want you to guess how old this is. August 8th, 1966. Expired! If there's one thing I think I learned from this game, it's that my parents don't believe in expiration dates. So, if you ever come over to my house to eat sometime, don't have anything. Whose who's pantry might look a little bit like that? Let's just be, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome! My mother's definitely does. She has stuff in there from 1966. How many people could pick that petroleum jelly knew that it was somewhere in the 60s when they saw the pack. Uh, so did I, when you're old enough to know. Um, you might be thinking, wow, what a way to kick off Sparkle. That's awesome. <laughs> but when that kid was, was doing his little deal, but he said something that actually just, that just triggered something in my spirit. He said, you know, um, when you come to my place for dinner, don't, don't have anything when you come over because my parents don't believe in expiration dates. And when he said that, I began to think of the God that we serve. And you and I actually serve a God that's exactly the same. He, he doesn't, um, he's not defined by, or he's not limited by, or he doesn't believe in expiration dates that you and I place on him or on his word or on his promise in our lives. And tonight, right from the outset of Sparkle 2011, I want to talk to you about those things in your life that you think are expired, those things that you think can't happen, those things that God has promised and spoken over your life that are past their due date. You think you're too old. You think you're not qualified. You think if it was going to happen, it should have already happened. If it was going to happen, you know, something would have happened by now that would have enabled it to happen. It can't happen now, naturally speaking. I want to speak hope into dead dreams. I want to speak hope into expired promises or, or expiration dates that you've put on those promises because God too does not believe on expiration dates that you and I place on things. I want you to start right from the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11 and our foundation scripture tonight is this, by faith the Bible says Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age. Everyone say past the age. Past the age. Past the age. Everyone say, past the age. <laughs> and Sarah, I'm not allowed to play anymore. Okay. Because she judged him faithful who had promise. The Bible says that Sarah was given strength to conceive seed when? When she was past the age. Why? Because she got to a place finally in her life where she had judged him who promised 
to be faithful. When she got to a place when she no longer looked at her body, when she no longer looked at the body of her husband, when she no longer looked at natural circumstances, when she no longer looked at anybody else around her, but when she got to a place in her life where she judged him who promised to be faithful, the Bible says that it was at that point she was given strength to conceive seed and then she was able to give birth to that promise. There's a whole lot of us that have got a whole lot of promises that God has spoken over our life. And you know what? In the natural, it seems like we are past the age. It seems that it's expired. There is no way that it can happen. I'm, I'm too old. It seems like naturally speaking, that disease can never be healed. It seems like that dream can never be realized. That husband can never come back and be restored. Those kids are so far away from the promises of God that there is no hope that they'll be reconciled into the house of God. It just seems like that person, if they were going to get saved, it would have happened by now, but it seems like they are past the stage. I'm not even here talking about those promises where you're in the waiting room because it's still possible in the natural. We are here tonight at the coffin, at the graveside of dead promises. Promises that you've put in the coffin, that you've sealed that coffin, you've buried and you thought it's not going to happen. It can't happen. It should have already happened. But you see, you and I serve a God that operates in the realm of when things are past the age. When man says it's impossible, God says it's possible. What is impossible? with man is possible with God and we're going to restore some broken hot promises and broken dreams in this house tonight. From the outset of Sparkle, we're going to see some resurrection power released and we're going to see hope released in this house where we're going to start to believe the God dream again. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm not talking about selfish ambition, but I'm talking about those things that God has said and spoken over your life, your family, your future. If God said it, God will do it. He is not a man that he will lie. And if God put it out there, God will do it. Even if you've put an expiry date on it, God will work past the expiry date that you've put on it. Let me tell you something. God is a faithful God. I don't know what you are confronting in your life. I don't know what dead promises you've got. But we live in a world where you open that newspaper every day and it is full of hopelessness. Whether it's economic or social or moral or political or environmental, there is nothing but a hopeless future that this world's looking at. And God's saying in the midst of all of that, I want to speak hope and life into you. This is the greatest hour for the church. Because we can believe when nobody else can believe. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18 verse 27, Jesus is talking. He says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You see, you and I serve a supernatural God. There is no reason to limit to God to what is achievable, to what is possible, to what is attainable, to what is quantifiable. God works outside of all of those realms. And so just because a doctor said it's impossible doesn't mean God says it's impossible. Just because a teacher said, you're dumb, you're stupid, what you aspire to is impossible doesn't mean that it's impossible with God. Just because it doesn't look like it's lining up economically doesn't mean that it's impossible with God because the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. God works in that realm, the supernatural realm, the impossible realm, the expiry realm, the past the due date realm. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. It says, for all the promises of God, everyone say all. For all the promises of God are where? In Wall Street? In your current administration? Or anyone's for that matter across the world? In the Euro? Or in the teacher at school or the professor? 
or in your ex-spouse or in your kids. No, all the promises of God are in who? Jesus, yes. And in Him, amen. And so many of us, we get our eyes off the promise and the hope of God in Christ. And we begin to get our eyes on what is natural. And so we lose our hope and we lose our faith. And we try to bring God down to the natural realm. And we try to make God operate in our little world and we shrink God and we shrink His promises. And hope in our lives shrinks because we get our eyes off Christ. But today, right from the outset, I just want to bring us back to that one place, to Jesus. Do you remember when you first got saved, that hope you had? Do you remember the faith that you had? You believed God for anything. You heard God in every conversation, everywhere you were. You know, you should have seen God move today and God opened up this opportunity and I had this opportunity at work and this was awesome. And when I was going to Walmart, I got the parking spot right in front of that front door. It's like, you know, that... When you're first saved, you've got the parking spot anointing. I mean, you're praying, and when you get in there. I used to love those days. And a while ago, I was reminded of just how you could get on in the, in the plan of God, and you get on with your Christian life, and you just kind of shrink. You know, sometimes your hope's deferred, or sometimes you get a little bit disappointed. Life just happens. And you kind of think, you know, why bother? Believing God for the parking spot, you know, there's bigger fish to fry. There's, there's more important stuff out there. And you kind of start to shrink and you don't really hope for anything great. Even something as small as a parking spot out the front door of Walmart. Well, recently I was flying from Knoxville, Tennessee, back to Orange County. It was a Sunday night. I'd ministered all weekend. And I just wanted to get this plane. I only had one possibility to get this plane, get the connection in Chicago, and get back to Orange County. And this was not to solve world peace or anything. This was just because I just wanted to get home. I just wanted to drive my kids to school on Monday morning. It was no big deal, but it was important to me. You know those little things that you just think that they're, they're just important to you? And really, this, the, tonight, I just want to remind you that God is actually incredibly interested in the small detail of your life that you think he's not interested in. Well, anyway, I get to Knoxville and I'm at the airport and um, my plane had been delayed by two hours because of bad weather. Now, I'm thinking, you know, that's okay because I had a three-hour layover in Chicago and I was feeling fine. I thought, you know, it doesn't matter and I was so pumped about getting the kids to school. Well, anyway, we get into Chicago airspace. And there was really bad weather, so the captain comes on the loudspeaker and he said, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're going to have to go into a holding pattern for 45 minutes because they've shut one of the runways. And so, you know, um, we're going to, we're like, I don't know what number we were for landing, so they've put us in a holding pattern. Now, you know, if you know my personality type at all, those two words, holding pattern, don't really work well anyway. And at 35,000 feet, when I've got a connecting flight, it's not working good at all. So I'm thinking 45 minutes, I'm not even going to, you know, get my connection. So my phone just happened to be accidentally on. And because it was accidentally on, I was texting my husband and my staff and the whole world and anyone that would answer their phone going, what am I going to do? There was this one plane that I could have got that had a connection to Orange County. 
And so my husband is saying to me, you know, you're going to get in an ex- whatever terminal and you're going to have to, like, run. There's really not much chance. But your plane has been delayed 10 minutes because of the weather. So just run for it and, and you know, you'll see. So, I mean, our plane barely touched down. The only thing I prayed is that nobody would recognize me or know that I was a pastor because I had no fruit of the Spirit in that moment. It was like... <laughs> I was pushing over old ladies, kicking the wheelchairs. I was going for it. I'm like, oh, this is going to end up on some YouTube video. Anyways, so, um, I mean, I was running through Chicago Airport. I, I, I could hear the Chariot of Fire music. I was like running through there, <laughs> bolting through the airport. I turn around and um, I could see that my aeroplane was there, but... The jet bridge had been pulled back, the aeroplane door was closed, and at the gate, the door had been closed. Now, I don't know if you fly a lot, but if you do, you know that if the jet bridge has been pulled back, the plane door is shut, the gate door is shut, man, the stone has been rolled across the tomb, it is over, Rover, we're finished. And um, I didn't know what to do, I was like, just, it was that, that hopeless moment. And I'm like, that was it. That flight, I'm gone. There was nothing to LAX. I would have had to overnight it in Chicago. And just like, you know, I may as well have stayed in Knoxville. I was so... And so I I didn't know. So I just threw myself at the mercy of the woman behind the counter. I mean, I went for it. Academy Award-winning Oscar. I... (laughs) i got to say, I'm like, everything. You know, I haven't seen my children for 100 years. They're star. Anyway, I tried everything. And... um, Anyway, this woman, because you get a few of these, she, this was her power trip. Obviously, she was that time of the month. I don't know what it was, but she, her little power trip was just to make my life miserable. And so she just, just enjoyed, you know, very disproportionately the, the, the joy she was getting out of me not getting on this flight. And she really didn't like me. And so the only thing in my favor at that counter was that the chick that was working with her disliked her more than she disliked me. So this was good. This was working for me. So while this woman is being really less than nice to me, and um, this other woman is talking to the captain. And so then she gets a smile on her face and she hangs up the phone, looks at the other chick, looks at me, and she said, Mrs. Kane, the captain has said you can get on board. Now, this other chick said a lot of four-letter words, none of them were love. And so then, so I'm walking, this is like awesome. They're opening the door to the gate. I walk down, I have to stand there, and they do that little machine where they move the little jet bridge. I'm like, this is awesome. The aeroplane door opens. I literally, as I'm walking on, I could hear people down the plane going, is that Madonna? Is that Lady Gaga? It's like they're thinking. You only open plain doors for like presidents and, you know, celebrities. And I'm like, favor, 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 God, favor. Anyway, I'm loving this. Go to my little seat. I'm getting upgraded. It's beautiful. I'm having my moment. So, you know, when it all goes well like that, man, you have hope and expectation and faith and you are God's favorite and it's awesome. Well, anyway, then we get in in line and we're, we get into line, they'd shut one of the runways and so the captain comes over the loudspeaker after about five or ten minutes, he goes, ladies and gentlemen, we are number 27 for takeoff. We don't have enough gas to stay in line and, um, and then be able to fly to Orange County and have enough gas to land, so we're going to have to get out of line, go back to the gate, refuel and wait to see 
if we're even going to be, I mean, at that moment, I was manic depressed suicidal right then. I was, you know how you can go from I'm God's woman, they open the plane door to God, you hate me, you dangle the carrot, then you take it away from me. You know how you go through your Christian life. You go, God, I can't believe you got my hopes up for no reason. Anyway, this has never happened to me before or since, and I, and I fly a lot. And so what happened was, um, so we pulled out of line, and my phone's accidentally on again. I'm texting texts that you hope are not going to go public, Mr. Weiner. Anyway, so I'm like texting away. And so we go across the plane, the, the, the runway thing. And then just as the plane goes about here, so it hasn't turned to go back to the gate yet, the captain comes over the loudspeaker again. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Please ensure that your seatbelts are firmly secured. We have been cleared for an immediate takeoff. And so he does this 90-degree turn, no joke, and then just pulls the throttle back. Down we go the runway. I'm looking out the window, waving to the other 26 aeroplanes, <laughs> going, favour ain't fair. I don't know what happened in that one hour at Chicago Airport, but all I know is that what was impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things are possible. And if he needs to rearrange things, he will. If he needs to make someone like you to open a door, to open a plane door, to fast track your plane before 26 other planes so you can get home and kiss your babies goodnight and drive them to school, that's the kind of God I'm talking about. But it's interesting, you know, you go through life and you get a little bit disappointed and you don't believe for that stuff anymore. When you first get saved, you do. And I think God's calling his church across the world to say, come on, I need you to stir that up a little bit. I want you to stir up that hope, that faith, that expectation, whether it's for an issue like that or maybe a, a global issue. I remember when we founded the A21 campaign, we got... Um, consultants in, like the best in the world, 25-day feasibility study for them to conduct. It cost a fortune um, because we wanted to set up right. Now, when, we, when they came over, I had already had a, a conference with them and I had said to them, you know, this region of the world, there are not anti-trafficking, anti-human trafficking initiatives in this place because the Russian and the Albanian mafia have got huge strongholds. There is incredible corruption with all the anti-trafficking authorities, that there is very little, if any, legislation protecting the rights of victims, that, you know, there are girls, there, there had not been any rescues or convictions of traffickers in that region of the world. The church is so embryonic that, you know, the, the support of the faith sector would be minimal at best, not very much light. That's why there's so much darkness in that region of the world. And um, so I said to them, I know all of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, God's called us to, to go and um, start there. So I really wasn't asking them if we can start. It was a consultation to go, how? How are we going to take the land? Well, I remember that um, I got the phone call from Nick. I was flying from Frankfurt to Thessaloniki and, um, to go and get the report. And Nick called me. I was in Frankfurt Air Airport in the lounge. And he said, you know, he started the conversation with, hi, honey, are you sitting down, um, are, are, are you sitting down and you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you? And so any phone call that starts like that, I'm already, you know, feeling great. And so he goes on, he says, look, they've done the feasibility study. It's a very comprehensive 100 plus page report, um, extremely comprehensive. It's, you know, um, 
uh, consultations with the UN departments, with uh, different governments, the European Union, the European Parliament. I mean, it's, it's an extremely extensive report. He said, well, at the bottom, at the end of the day, the bottom line is these experts, world experts, have said that we shouldn't go, that we should not start in this region of the world. And then he began to list all the reasons, which were the exact same reasons that I had given them, that there was a lot of corruption, there was Russian-Albanian mafia, there was not much faith sector support, there was no legislation protecting the rights of victims. And um, so he's telling, I go, why did we pay them for 25 days to tell me what I already knew? That wasn't the um, objective. The objective was that they would tell us how we were going to take next steps and move forward. And I kind of had my own little Numbers 13 experience right there in Frankfurt Airport. I stood up and extremely inappropriately loudly, I yelled into my phone and the whole of the lounge in Lufthansa looked at me as I held this and I went, you tell them that we are well able to do this. If God said it, then we can do it. Well, you know, here we are three years later. By the grace of God, only God could have, you couldn't make this stuff up if we try. Not only do we have a legal center and a transition home and a shelter in Greece, but yesterday we opened another one in the Ukraine, a schools program in um, all of the UK. The Bulgarian team is on the ground from the 9th of October, starting over a thousand abolition groups here in the United States. United States, schools groups in Australia, a trafficker convicted, sentenced, 15 and a half years imprisonment, 108,000 euro fine. What they said was impossible has become possible. Over a thousand girls helped, over a hundred through the transition program. They said it can't happen, but I've discovered what is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things, all things are possible. All things. And God's looking for a church that would say, I'm going to dare to believe God. And against all hope in hope, I'm going to continue to believe. And the Lord said of Sarah, she was past the age. It shouldn't have happened. Victims shouldn't be getting rescued in that region of the world. I don't know what it is in your life that shouldn't be happening. But that's the realm that God wants to work in. And that's the realm where God operates. You know, I think a lot of us stop believing God, whether it's for the parking spot. Nowadays, I don't need to believe for parking spots. I need to believe for plain jumping over 26 other planes, <laughs> but whatever it is, whatever your everyday reality is, I think when it comes down to it, because I've wondered why, and I'm 45, as you all know today, presence welcomed, and, um, <laughs> but the truth is that as I sit down and I think, why am I still going? Why am I still on fire, married, two kids, and taking on a new thing, let's go fight human trafficking? When so many of my friends that I started with have settled, some aren't even serving the Lord anymore, others just somewhere along the line lost hope. We were at the same youth camps, we prayed the same prayers, we believed God for the same things, we believed God for this life full of faith and hope. And no one said when I'm 45, I'm supposed to lose all of that because there's been disappointment or there's been discouragement. And this is what it all comes down to to me. When I've looked at it, you know what I really believe? I really believe it comes down to just two very simple things, and that's really what I'm going to talk about. The first one is that most of us, we end up losing hope, we end up losing faith, because we confuse God's due season or God's appointed time with our due date. You see, most of us put a due date on the promises of God. Most women, when they're pregnant, doctors say over 80% of pregnancies go over their due date. 
Well, that's not because the baby went over their due date. There was just an incorrect assessment of the due date. Many of us, we have just incorrectly assessed by when God can do something. And see, that's what happened to Sarah. And if you're titling this message anything, you can call it Between Two Laughs. Because I want you to locate tonight between which of the two laughs you are. Because Sarah's first laugh was the laugh of doubt. It was the laugh of scorn. It was the laugh of ridicule. It was that laugh that says, yeah, sure, God. Because a lot of my friends had that laugh when we first used to go to conferences and believe God. And I remember thinking one day, one day I'm going to travel the world and tell people about Jesus. One day I'm going to preach with joy smile. One day I'm going to do something in my journey. And people, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. Oh yeah, who are you? Oh yeah, you're the kid that was abused. You're the kid that was unnamed. You're the kid, oh yeah, who do you think you are? How's God going to take someone from it? You know, or I sat there with the same friends at the same conferences, praying the same prayers. But the difference was I really meant them while they were rolling their eyes. Yeah, sure. Do you really think God could do something with a group of women here in the middle of America? Do you really think, Christine, you know, this sparkle idea, do you really think it's going to make it? We come because it's cool and sparkly and who doesn't like a bit of bling? We come because, you know, it means that I don't have to cook and he can feed the kids pizza and tough luck and I don't know about it. It's fine. I've got an excuse to be out with the girls and all that's fine, but there's a much bigger purpose. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that just maybe, just maybe, God can use an ordinary bunch of women to do extraordinary things on the world to make a difference in our generation. But you see, Sarah wasn't there yet. I want you to see in Genesis 18, verse 10 to 14, the Bible says, and he said, I will certainly return to you. This is the Lord telling um, Abraham, what's going to happen? I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age. Everyone say passed the age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after the, sorry, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And we go on. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I sh- uh, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I want to ask you, that unsaved spouse, the fact that you're still sick, is anything too hard for the Lord? That disease that the, that the doctor says can't be cured, is that anything too hard for the Lord? That job promotion, is anything too hard for the Lord? That dream, is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord's saying, hang on a minute, why is she laughing? Because you can come to sparkle after sparkle and you can sit under pastor's teaching week after week and just always kind of think, yes, yeah, sure, really. And I think that's where most Christians live. In the yes, yeah, sure, that laughter, the laughter of doubt, the laughter of unbelief. The laughter of really God? And can you put on the next verse? At the appointed time, did you see that? Not the due season, um, not the due date, because she was already past her due date. When she got this promise, she was 65. And, and Abraham was even older. This was pre-Viagra, in case you're wondering. <laughs> this is past the age, sweetheart. Nothing's working. But what she was doing was she was limiting God to the natural. She looked at his body and she looked at her body. And she knew this isn't going to happen because she was past the age. 
But God was giving her a promise when it was already impossible. But she doubted him. So he said, you know what, Sarah, you've got to go to the tent. Stay in the tent for another 25 years because you're not ready yet. Because you haven't judged me who promised to be faithful. Sarah, you don't have strength to conceive the seed of the promise yet. If I gave you this now, you would abort it because the womb of your faith is not yet strong enough to carry the seed to full term. You're mocking me, Sarah. What makes you think your body could do it anyway? The promises God has for our churches, what makes us think we could do it in the natural? None of us are that good. What would make me think I could ever run an anti-human trafficking initiative that could, in my own strength, no matter how talented or gifted I was, how many degrees I had, how connected I was, how much money I had, what would make me think I could ever fulfill in my natural strength what God could only do in and through my life? What would make any of us think we could do it? He's saying to Sarah, you haven't judged me faithful yet. Maybe you're going to need some people to hurt you. Maybe you're going to need to be in the tent for a bit longer. You're wondering why your dream hasn't come to pass. You're wondering why God has any saying, look, you're looking at your own gift, your own talent, your own strength. You're looking at your own resources. You're looking at your own connections. You're looking at all the wrong things. You're looking at your circumstances. You're looking at his body and your body. I need you to stop looking across and down and I need you to start looking up because it's not till the time that you get to the point where you judge me who promised to be faithful that you'll have strength to conceive the seed to give birth to the promise of God. And we need a generation of women that will judge him who promised to be faithful. Not your own strength, not your own contacts, not your own resources, not your own finance. But it's like, God, you said it. It's already impossible. When you said it, it can't happen. Therefore, God, my job is just to believe. It's your, God to do the, it's your job to do the impossible. And God's saying that's, what hope, that's where hope works in that realm. We're against all hope in hope you believe. Because there's no way it can happen in the natural. That's the realm that God works in. There's no hope in the natural that that relationship can be reconciled or restored or that body that can be healed or that person is going to be saved or that dream's going to come to pass. There's no hope. And God's saying, against all hope, in hope I want you to believe. I want you to believe that I who promise am faithful. Don't put an appointed, don't put a due date on something that God has an appointed time for. Because if you limit God to your due date, you walk away when God hasn't performed his circus trick in your timing. And God's like, I don't, I don't perform when you want me to perform. What are you going to do, Sarah? Because that's what happens when God doesn't do it when we want or how we want. We start to get involved ourselves. We think, I might just help you, God. I'm a little bit better than you. It's amazing, God. I'm going to start to intervene. I'm going to start to get involved. I'm going to help you along. And this is what we do. In Genesis 16, verse 1 to 4, I love this. The Bible goes on, and you guys can change that. I know I messed the order up for you. I love doing that to the technology people because it puts them in a tailspin. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. This is what we do. We try to explain away the promise. We go, oh, God's schizophrenic and he's changed his mind. <laughs> the same God that said he's going to do it, now let me rationalize why he hasn't done it. Let me try to explain God. I don't want him to get embarrassed, so let me try to make, like, God's restrained me. I know he's the same God that came to the tent. 13, this is at the 13-year mark. He came 13 years ago and it hasn't happened. So God's restrained me. 
So he goes on, she goes on and says, please go into my maid. What is this woman smoking? <laughs> Who on earth? This is what you do when you start to try to do God's job for him. You do dumb things. You go and say to your maid, go and sleep with my husband. Or you go and tell your husband, please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain a child by her. And Abraham's like, oh, she told me to do it. Just like, just like Adam in the garden. She told me to do it. They just have never changed. She said it, I'm doing it. And so... It's like bizarre. You end up doing absurd thing. What woman in her right mind would say to her husband, go and sleep with her. But that's what happened. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. And the Bible goes on. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave it to her husband. And we know what happened. Ishmael was born. And you know what happens when you try to get involved and you start doing things outside? of the plan and the purpose of God, you end up giving birth to a whole lot of Ishmaels. And you start getting a, a very distracted with a whole lot of Ishmaels. And that's what a lot of us do. We waste so much of our time and our energy because we try to get involved and say, God, you're not doing it how I want. I don't like it here, so I'm going to go to another church. God, you're not doing it in my due date. So I'm going to go and find another guy. God, if, if you don't give me a guy, you promised me at Sparkle that I'm going to have a partner and it didn't happen by next week. So I'm going to go to that nightclub and I'm going to find one. And, and like God's in heaven going, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. You're twisting my, oh no, if I don't perform my little monkey trick when you want me to, oh, I'm so scared that you're going to go to the nightclub. Gee, I'm nervous. Wow. God, if you don't give me my little worship leader job, I'm, I'm going to go to another church. And God's like, oh dear, what am I going to do? Wow, I was just so, it's us that loses, not God. God, if my husband doesn't change by this, then I'm going, like we, like we threaten him. And that's what we do. I'm going to go give my mate, I'm going to try to make this happen because I know better, God. And God says, no, no, I've just called you to judge him who promised to be faithful. I've got an appointed time for the thing you've set a due date on. And if you would just trust me, I'll bring it to pass in my appointed time. But that brings me to the second thing, which is not only does God not always do it in our time frame, but a lot of us give up because God very often and very rarely does things the way we think he should do them. And when God doesn't do it how we think he should do it, then we end up losing hope. But you know what the Bible says in the book of Isaiah? The scripture teaches us this really clearly. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says, as if he needs to remind us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God says, look, I don't even think at your level, people. You think that I should do things a certain way. But I'm God. I woke up one day, I burped, I went, earth, oops, look what I did. That's kind of what God does. <laughs> I'm, fi I'm infinite and you're finite. So you, I think at this level and I do things. My ways are not your ways at this level. You do them at this level. God says that gap between how I do it and how you would do it and all that in-between gap where you don't understand Will you judge me who promised to be faithful in that gap? That's the trust gap and that's the hope gap. That's the gap that says, I don't get it. I know it isn't kind of going how I thought, but I know God's faithful.
You know, the lawyers, the lawyers in Greece that put away the, the traffickers, they're just amazing people, Pastor Dimitri and Maria Stamatis are their name. They pastored a little Pentecostal work in the back of Thessaloniki that they'll never be in Christian TV anywhere. You'll never see them on a magazine. It'll never be one of the top 100 growing churches. I doubt, you know, they'll never be um, on any bestseller list. But they're very faithful people because just because someone's not known or something's not known on earth doesn't mean it's not being applauded in heaven, incidentally. So you need to understand that. And um, they were pastoring in a nation where it was illegal to proselytize five years ago. In a nation where 99.99% of the people are orthodox and to be any form of Protestant, let alone Pentecostal, is deemed to be a cult. There are only 10,000 evangelical believers in a nation of 12 million people. And so they pastored this little work, 100 people, for nearly 20 years. When nobody knew anything about them, lawyers by day, tent makers, lawyers, pastoring the church day and night, and um, anyway, about now, it would be about eight years ago, they, they had four children. Um, their eldest daughter, Liana, their second daughter, Melina, their son, Fortis, and their youngest son, Peter. Well, about eight years ago, their youngest son, Peter, was diagnosed with leukemia. Now, this couple is so faithful. And they were the ones, they brought the word of faith into the nation, the teaching of Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, the real word of faith and real word of healing and believing God. And they had taken their son Peter to Germany when Benny Hinn was doing meetings. They had hands laid on him, believing God for his healing. And Peter would, at that time, got a hold of some United CDs. They'd know nothing about Hillsong and they found these DVDs, I mean, of, of United and he would watch them and he would weep and believe God that there would be this kind of revival in his nation where, you know, there was like a handful of teenagers that were saved. He would believe God for stadiums in his nation and that he would see a revival ushered in and they would pray and they would pray and they would just have worship going all day and believe God for revival and believe God for his healing. Well, about seven years ago, a year later, um, Peter died. And he was watching and they were watching a United DVD and he went into eternity listening to Hillsong music. Well, you know, in the natural, that wasn't how his parents would have wanted anything to end up, nor would anybody else. In the natural, it's very hard to understand how a 14-year-old boy would die of leukemia and in a faith environment and where people are praying. And... Um, in, if you look at it in the temporal circumstances, that that's, there is no way to understand it. But if you look at it from an eternal perspective, you know, God kept his word. Peter stepped from this side of eternity into the next. He was instantly healed and whole. God, God healed him. It didn't happen in the natural time frame. Now, that didn't make it any easier. His promotion did not in any way diminish the grief on earth of his family. Many doubting Christians that were still in the first laughter of doubt came to the funeral and said really edifying things to his parents like, wow, where's your faith now? 
I mean, who needs the devil sometimes when you've got Christians? And so it would be, um, you know, what's your faith to now? Where is it? And his mother tells me this story. She now works full-time for the A21 campaign in Greece. And um, she was in a moment. She's at a graveside. Looks like the promise is dead. Promise for a revival, sown their life into a nation. And she, was, she and her husband were left with a decision in that moment that would define what history will record the future of that nation. So as they began to give their speech when their son was being buried, they said, you know, the devil thinks that he has stolen our son from us today, but he hasn't stolen anything. We're not giving him anything. He hasn't stolen our son. We are sowing our son as seed into the soil of this nation. And we're believing that for his life, God will give us back millions and multitudes in this nation and we will see the revival in this forsaken, forgotten part of the world that nobody knows about, nobody talks about, nothing's happened since the New Testament was written. We are sowing him a seed. We don't know why this has happened. We can't even understand our grief, but we know that he who promised is faithful. And God has spoken a promise and prophetic word over our life and we know that he is faithful even though we don't understand what has happened. Well then, two years after that, I'm speaking at a Hillsong conference in London. And I had seen on the sheet of paper, people said to me, Christine, there's some Greeks here. Now, when you're Greek and you hear other Greeks are saved, I mean, you think the second coming's happening because like there's nobody, you know, it's like awesome. I was midway through, my pre through preaching, full on main session at the conference, and I just stopped. I went, where are the Greeks? I just got so excited. And they're like jumping up like they're so excited that someone even knew what a Greek was. And so they're like all pumped. And I said, come and see me afterwards. So they came. They never told me anything other than they're just pastors in Greece and they'd gotten Hillsong CDs and they loved our music and they wanted to, now that we had a conference in London, they wanted to come to that. And they said to me, would you come? And I said, oh, it's always been my dream. I've come to Greece so many times for vacation, but I've been waiting for the God door. I've said no to so many invitations because I've never felt it was right, but I've been waiting for, and I said, this, this is the door. And who would have known that I then, four years ago, went to Thessaloniki, Greece, and anyone that knows the A21 story would know that I was standing at that airport, waiting for my bag when I saw the posters of the kids. And from that moment, that was the moment of the conception of the A21 campaign. And then I find out that they're lawyers. And then... I find out their story and how a couple of years before that they'd sown their son and how they were believing God. And you know, here we are three years later and I just have to tell you, there's not one Christian platform on this earth, not from the Willow Creek Association to Joel Osteen to Joyce Meyer to Hillsong to Catalyst to whatever arc to whatever network there is where I haven't stood and talked about A21 and talked about Greece and talked about what's happening. So now there's a church planted there, a new kind of life-giving, prevailing church, the kind of, this kind of church. And um, it, what those parents have done 
have seen so many girls rescued, so many young people rescued, and there have been more saved and water baptized in the last three years than in the previous 20 years before that. And something has turned, and that faucet has been turned, and there's this sense of revival that's starting in a nation who would have guessed that would be in the news every day because it's almost bankrupted the planet because of what's happened. But in a time of famine, God has raised us up where the nations and the governments of the world are going, who are these people that have full barns in the time of famine that are bringing relief and restoration to our land. More have been water baptized, more have been saved. God promised it, God said it. It didn't happen how they thought, but he who promised is faithful and we are seeing revival in a land where people thought the dream had died. Why? Because they didn't give up. I don't know where you've given up because you think it died and there was no hope anymore. They could have walked away. They could have said, God, where were you? We were faithful all these years. You took our son. I don't know how much harder it could get for a parent. But all I'm saying to you is there are some dreams that have been put in graveyards. And God's saying, it's time to stir it back up because it didn't happen how you wanted. And it didn't happen when you wanted. doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It's just not happening how or when you want. I'll finish with this. I want you to see this in Genesis. The Bible says, and it goes on in Genesis 21, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. God will always do what he said. God will always do what he has spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And it goes on, it says, at the set time, there it is. It happened when it was meant to happen. At the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. There's the second laughter. And I'm praying that tonight, some of you are going to go from that laughter of doubt and unbelief where you thought it was all dead and all hope was dead to the laughter of faith that says, 100 years old, impossible. I'm 90, he's 100, can't happen, shouldn't happen, should have already happened. But God's made me laugh and it's not the laughter of unbelief anymore, it's the laughter of faith. It's the laughter that says yes and then God has made me laugh and all who here will laugh with me. And she named her son Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? Son of laughter. The very thing that the enemy wanted to take you out with, the very dream he wanted to kill in your womb of faith. God's saying, if you would just hang on, your job is to believe. It's God's job to do the impossible. The dream isn't dead. That sickness is not impossible to heal. You have got to understand. You've got to understand that there is no promise that is too hard for God to fulfill. There is no prayer that is too big for God to answer. There is no problem that is too big for God to solve. There is no disease, not one, that God cannot heal. There is no heart that God cannot mend. There is no bondage that God cannot break. There is no need that God cannot meet. There is no enemy that God cannot defeat. There is no mountain that God cannot move. There is nothing my God cannot do. Nothing that God cannot do. Nothing is impossible for God.